0: I want to make this quick since we're late, but I, you know, Craig shared last night. For those who were here, it was amazing. You know, when he's up there, I forget he's my husband, and I'm just sitting there with my jaw dropped, <laughs> like that is awesome. On uh, face to face with God, and our vulnerability, with our uh, with the masks taken off, and nothing hidden in our in our raw, authentic, vulnerable place face-to-face with God, and it was just so beautiful. And tonight, I, um, I just had it on my heart that uh, I want to talk about face-to-face with each other and go, um, go deep into that place of, of being face-to-face with each other. And if it's okay with you, I want to share it from a really personal place, um, from my, uh, my personal story with my husband. He's been really, he gave me permission. We've shared this story many, many places, so you know, this is not the first. (laughs) He's like, yeah, you can say anything you want. (laughs) Um, And he has shared a lot of his story here about the depression. He went through 10 years of clinical depression. Um, It it took me a while to share my part of the story. But I I felt to share some of that with you tonight. so I'm going to be really uh, open, honest, and gutturally vulnerable in front of you because I, I feel like one of the hardest things that we can do as, um, as believers, as um, Christ followers, is, is know how to walk with a broken person really well. And I'm not talking about um, walking somebody through inner healing and deliverance because that, that's different it's different it, it, we can put the, those people up you know on our shelf as trophies and say look what we did you know <laughs> we helped that person but this is not that um this is different this is being married this is the love of my life falling into a clinical depression when we were pastoring a church um back in 1997 um we were Uh, pastoring at a vineyard church in Wichita, Kansas, and it was on fire. Uh, That was the days of the Toronto outpouring, and the the church was on fire. I was the quiet, shy pastor's wife that sat in the back row, but my husband was um, an anointed, powerful man of God, and uh, he was just a sought-after preacher. He was uh, the prophetic words over his life were large and dynamic and powerful, and everyone just he was the golden boy, right uh, absolute golden boy. he was famous in his own right and um, and we were all pretty much in awe over what was coming out of him and through him and the Holy Spirit. But what people didn't know is that uh, he was sliding into a deep, dark place that I um, sometimes had to carry him out the back door to get him away from the people, to, to bring him home, and uh, and then he'd be on the floor most of the week, unable to get up. And we weren't intentionally hiding it from anybody. In fact, he stood up in the pulpit and confessed it and told people and then begged for healing, begged for people to stop worshiping him, begged for people to stop putting him um, and you know, on a pedestal, and he was, would sit there and weep, and they would just be like, Oh, look how humble he is. <laughs> and uh, But it didn't make sense to anybody else. We confessed it to our pastor and asked for help, and our, our senior pastor um, rebuked him for being self-centered. And We tried to explain to people how badly... Um, we were, we were off. I mean, we had homeless people living in our house. We had zero boundaries. We were burnt out. We were fried. We were striving and performing to try to earn the the pleasure of the Lord and the pleasure of people, and it was working. Everyone thought we were the best Christians ever, and we were. (laughs) But we were falling apart in our own home. I was falling apart in codependence because it was my, I came from an alcoholic home, so the codependent fit of, you know, covering his Backside and, and making sure everything was still good um, on the outside was my instinctive role. And, um, so he, tr- he would try to repent and what would happen is he would get in the anointing and all would be fine. And so nobody really believed him. Because when he walked in the building in the anointing, the presence of the Lord would come on him and he would preach up a storm and they were like, he's not depressed. I mean, look at the power of God moving through him. But he'd walk out that door when the anointing lift and he could barely function. So we couldn't get anyone to believe us. It was getting worse and worse. And uh, about two years into this, we knew we had, um, we got another radio job offer. He had left radio, and he got another job offer in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we knew that we would be um, dead if we didn't take it. And so we were rescued by a radio gig, believe it or not, and scooped up. We had to leave there to be set free from the ministry. There was no other choice. And he moved. Uh, we both moved our family to Tulsa, Oklahoma in the year 2000. And, um, and we landed in a revival church, which was what we were looking for. I mean, full-blown outpouring. It was awesome. But the depression got way worse. Because um, then we were burnt out ex-pastors. Failed, right? The church was thriving, but we failed and had to leave. And so then it got way worse way worse. And to make a long story short, you know, we're in this Holy Spirit-empowered church. He got prayed for for deliverance. He went through all their freedom classes. He jumped through every hoop that anybody put in front of him. Every time he went up to the altar to get prayer, I mean, this is like power was breaking out, right? There's power. There's bodies shaking on the floor everywhere. I mean, this is a powerful place. People would try to get him saved all over again. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, we were just pastoring this church. You should have seen my husband. He's on fire. He's passionate. And they were they're like, I don't know. This guy needs to be saved because he was, he was becoming a shell. He was holding guns to his head. He was dragging knives across his arm. He became suicidal. I didn't know if I needed to put him in a clinic, I mean, in a psych ward. He was holding, I held his head in my lap as he sobbed his guts out every night, asking for some kind of help. So what do you do as a wife? This went on for 10 years. 10 years. My first response was I got every piece of inner healing training I could get. Not because I was called to inner healing, but because I needed to rescue my husband. I was a rescuer. So I got, I got, I'm trained. I am well trained (laughs) in inner healing ministries and in deliverance ministries. I got trained and then I tried it on my husband and it didn't work. Nothing worked. We went to counseling, nothing worked. He got deliverance over and over and over again. It didn't work. Nothing worked. So then what do you do? And the brutal realization that I came to, I'm making a long story, very short, but the brutal realization that I came to is that I was a very unhealthy, unsafe person. Because, you see, the first thing I did is judge my husband. I never told anybody that. I never spoke anything out loud. But my heart was saying things. My heart um, would say things like, well, if you would just pray more. Well, if you would just fill in the blank. Well, if you would just get in the word more. If you would just say the right scriptures. If you would just speak the right things over your life. If you would just, right? So these judgments would rise up in my heart that he wasn't doing the right things to get himself free. And then I'd have to stand up at night and peel the judgments off of him that I knew that my heart had put on him throughout the day. And and the Lord spoke something to me that I'll never forget, and it changed my life forever. And he said, you don't even have the right to form an opinion about another human being. And I didn't think I was a judgmental person i didn't think i was a religious person but i had a whole lot of opinions and my opinions were conclusions about other people and i didn't even speak them out loud but the lord took me through a season where he just would tap my shoulder every time i even started to form an opinion about what i thought somebody should do or shouldn't do or what i thought somebody might be what their motive might be i had all kinds of opinions that I didn't realize how judgmental of a person I was on the inside, but when he told me that, I realized, I felt, I, I felt his finger on my shoulder. Every time I started to form an opinion, I would feel it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I felt like I couldn't go two seconds without him convicting me of the opinions that I had inside of me. It was very freeing when I finally got free, that I didn't even have need to decide what I thought about people. Like, that wasn't my job. I mean, how freeing is that? I just got to put the period at the end of that sentence and not think about that anymore. The next thing I, I realized is that I, um, I was a fixer. I wanted to fix him. I so badly wanted to fix him. Some of it was compassion. Some of it was because I loved him so much I wanted to see him out of pain. Some of it was because he was driving me crazy. Some of it was because I was embarrassed because people kept wanting to get him healed. And then when they weren't seeing that he was healed, they would look at either me or him and blame us. They would stop hanging around us because he wasn't getting healed. So something is probably wrong on the inside or maybe happening in their home. They started getting suspicious of us. I'm telling you, Christians are bad. When it comes to walking with somebody for long term crap, we don't know what to do when somebody's not getting healed. We don't know what to do when somebody's not getting set free. We judge, we try to fix. Do you know that fixing does not feel like love? Serious. We can call it ministry, but I just wanted to fix him. Fixing communicates rejection. It just tells somebody that I'm not okay with the way you are right now. So it's communicating to them that you are rejecting them in the midst of their pain. It makes you an unsafe person. Do you know that before you can actually um, heal anybody, before you even earn the right to heal them, they, they have to give you their heart. My own husband couldn't give me his heart in the middle of his brokenness because I had judged him. I was trying to fix him. I, was, I, I would have said that I loved him no matter what, but the Lord was taking me on a journey of learning true, unconditional love. And the Lord said to me, what if he never gets healed? I mean, we sat in a counseling office as My husband threw Jesus away. And then I had to decide, I, one day I'm married to a pastor who's dynamic and he's got these call on his life. The next day, he's throwing Jesus away. Like, I had to reconcile, could I be married to a non-believer? Like, that thought had never crossed my mind. Of course, he picked Jesus back up the next day. It lasted a whole 24 hours before God was all up in his grill. But he was angry at God. He was not this person. That's why I laugh when we do premarital counseling. I'm like, honey, you don't know your husband. (laughs) Everybody marries a stranger. Just get that down. (laughs) You don't know nothing. And you're not going to when you say I do. This is a leap of faith, but bigger than any other. (laughs) I was a very unsafe person. My best description is that... um, I have have to use the poop analogy, but he was standing in a pile, a big pile of manure. My my husband, the love of my life, right? The the love of my life was standing in a big pile of manure. My first reaction was, eww. I was grossed out by it, and I pulled back. Then I decided, all right, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to be repelled. His manure. You gotta understand. I'm a feeler. I can discern things. I'm an antenna. I, I mean, I'd be back in the back of the house doing laundry. I could feel the demons walking in the front door, and I'd say, "My husband's home." How do you love? I can't fix him. I can't judge him. Most of the Christians that were around. Don't like him. I had people, my gosh, our house church at this point, we birthed the church in the middle of this. (laughs) Totally by accident. We didn't mean to. But we kept confessing, and we're like, we're not going to hide anything. This is all that's going on. And they'd walk out the door, and we were shocked when they came back the next week. Like, seriously? (laughs) There's got to be a better church in town. But (laughs) anyway. We were healed in the process of this house church because they accepted us in all of our crap. I said, yeah, we know. We still we see you face to face. So then I got closer to the pile of poop. Like, all right, if I'm not going to judge the pile of poop, I'm going to get to the edge. And then I'm going to try to coach them on how to get out of it. And that seemed like love but he felt rejected, and he just shut down from me. He knew, he could feel it. He knew everybody was frustrated that he wasn't being well, that he wasn't getting better. He knew it. He tried to hide it. tried to hide his depression, and that didn't work. He was desperately trying to fix himself, and that wasn't working. So now he just felt like, I mean, it was making it worse. So I was making it worse. And it wasn't until I climbed in that pile of poop with him and I held his hand and I looked around and I said, yeah, this sucks, but I'm here. And I love you. And I'm not going anywhere. And if this is the rest of our life, then this is the rest of our life. And it wasn't until a whole group of people did the same thing They jumped in that pile of poop, and they held his hand. I said, yeah, I see it. I can't fix it. I can't rescue you from it, but I'm going to love you right in it, regardless. And I I had just resigned to the idea of him ever getting healed. I mean, I had the psychiatrist on speed dial. I thought this was my life. This was going to be my life. But his depression had so radically converted, I felt like I got saved. I did. I got baptized all over again because I had to confront unconditional love. The Lord incarnated himself into our crap and took it to the cross. He didn't expect anything from us. He didn't try to fix us first. He stood in front of the woman caught in adultery and didn't try to fix her. This is a love, um, I had to learn how to love this man that I did love, but because of my Christianity and because of much of my theology, I didn't have room for somebody who was not getting well. His depression messed with my theology because I knew him. We need to be able to love without fixing, without having the answers, without being afraid of their weakness, without being afraid of their sin, without being afraid of their flesh. I had, I had a fear of other people's flesh. Like, I wanted that to all be like, well, can we, it's okay, you can talk about your flesh, but let's talk about how we're going to fix it. Like, No, I, c- I couldn't do that with him. Ten years, people, I couldn't keep talking about how to fix his flesh. Do we have room to just love? In the beginning of this journey, I was in worship, and I'll just end with this. In the beginning of this journey, I was in worship at this church in Tulsa, and, and um, I it's just trying to worship. And there was this woman. Oh, there was a whole crowd of people up in the front just like this, and there's this woman, like, back here somewhere, and she's manifesting and grunting and groaning, and it was all flesh. I could feel it. It was driving me nuts. I'm like, make her stop, Lord. Like, she's just she's interrupting my worship. And then I finally had the brilliant idea of asking the Lord, okay, you're not making her stop. What do you think about this? Like, she's totally faking it. She's faking her manifestation. She's faking her grunting and groaning. She's putting on a show for everybody, wanting everybody to know. I mean, this was when the Lord's trying to rip judgment out of me, right? He had a lot of work to do, as you can see. (laughs) I'm like, what do you think? And I am not exaggerating. He, like, I, I, I felt, I, I felt, he just, like, like, he couldn't breathe. He, like, drew his breath and he couldn't breathe. He said, do you see how beautiful she is? He, he was, like, he was so caught up and captivated by her. And I just started crying. I'm like, but, Lord, what are you going to do about all of that? Like, can't we do something about that? And he just looked at his watch. He said, I'm going to take care of that in about five years. I'm not worried about it. It was like it was on his day planner, but he was going to wait five years. She wasn't ready for him to deal with it, and he wasn't worried about it. It was the same thing with my husband. He's like, yeah, I got it on his day planner. He's going to be healed in 10 years' time, and it's going to be awesome. And I was not okay with that. But the Lord, I'm, I'm not talking theology here. I don't, I'm, I'll leave that to Rick to clean it up later. But what? <laughs> but I, he, he changed my life because I had to learn how to love a broken person without any of my supernatural spiritual gymnastics working. And it was my husband. And I needed to learn how to jump in that pile of poop and be OK with it and look around and love him, and say, yeah, I know it sucks, and not have the answers. And then he got healed. but we learned how to be safe. So we have a whole community of people because of his depression that has now learned how to be really safe. You should see the messed up people that come into our houses, (laughs) into the house churches now. They are so messed up. But nobody freaks out about it. I mean, we learned how to not ride the wave of somebody else's issues. We learned how to stay calm. It really helps parenting during teenage years. Because I'm like, I'm not worried about you. I mean, you might feel all messed up, but you're fine. God's got you. We learn how to be the anchor. We learn how to be the calm one and not reactionary. The lack of opinions that he cleaned out of me made room for the prophetic to multiply in the measures I had never dreamed, because then I could really hear his voice, because my opinions weren't in the way. telling you, if you're prophetic, get rid of your opinions. Stop thinking so much. He's got lots to say if I would just shut up. And stop trying to fix each other. It does not feel like love. First love. First accept. First embrace the broken right where they are, not based on the condition that they're going to get well. That you're gonna be some superpower healer person that's gonna, you know, brag about you for the rest of their life. Love them with the promise and the guarantee that they might, or not a guarantee, but with the promise that you're gonna love him, love them, if they never get well, if they never get healed, if you could never put them on your shelf as a supernatural trophy, will you love them anyway? It's not easy. But our churches need to be safe places because Jesus is safe. He's really, really safe. Amen. I don't know what to do now. I'm done. Sad said to be myself.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just leave me. Yeah. Well, when in doubt, pray it out. Cast it out too, but. That was my used, my used to be my saying. When in doubt, cast it out, but when you couldn't cast it out. Let's uh, pray, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the testimony, Lord, of your of your faithfulness and in, in Craig and Chris's life. Lord, uh, just revelations of how awesome you are as a savior is just sometimes so hard to. To put our, our heads around it, our hearts around it. The depth of your love, the love that's just so unconditional. That, that Lord, it's a love that just totally changes us. It's a love that never fails. If I can say that, Lord, as some theological statement. But the reality, Lord, what does that mean? That your love never fails. Lord, I thank you that Craig sits here tonight among us, Lord, declaring your goodness. Lord, not because of a gifting anymore, Lord. I know that that which is being spoken out of him is not of not gifting anymore. Or Lord, he wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be asking him here as a leader of this church, Lord, if he was coming here because of a gift. But, Lord, because of what you have done in he and Chris, Lord, because of your love, because of your love. Jesus, i think we're supposed to pray for two groups of people i think there's there's uh, there's some of us in this room that are dealing with loved ones or even yourself that you're tired and weary and then there's some that are just feel like what craig was talking i mean chris was talking about in relationship to craig there's, area, there's something in your life that just totally makes you want to give up. And so some of you need to learn to give mercy. And so I just want to ask Chris if you and Craig come up. Chris, if you'd sit over here. Craig, if you'd come over here. And... You have a
0: what? You have a what? Sorry. Huh? Yeah, what? Breakthrough. It wasn't there last year either. The Lord's really put this breakthrough anointing on your life that's um, it's powerful. You need to be praying for people and, and helping them break through. You've broken through. I mean, you have ob- obviously broken through, but now that thing is transferable. I just, I just, sorry, I was struck by it when you walked by me. I'm oh, sorry. ADD prophet. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't. <laughs> sorry.
1: <laughs> well... Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> you know, you didn't know what to do, and I—the only thing I knew what to do when I knew we need to pray about this because it just—man, this is too big of an issue. It is. It's too big of an issue. You know what to do? Mm. How to do this? Well,
0: I'll do one. I'm sorry. What? Go ahead. You go. Ahead. Oh, no, go, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> If, does anybody feel um, like they would like prayer to be able to release the, the, the burden of a loved one who is not getting well? That you, you've, if you feel some conviction, if you feel the weight of that, it's hard. I mean, it's really, really hard. Could you, if, if you, that's you, could I ask you to stand up? If you're all right, I mean, I just want to pray for them right where they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah is that okay? Yeah, is right, that's what I was thinking. Good. So, um, could I ask you to just raise your hands? This is—I'm is, leaving you there because this is a real personal thing between you and God. Nobody can pray this off, right? Lord, I stand with my brothers and my sisters, and Father, will you give them the strength to let go? To let go of the false responsibility, to let go of the grief that this is not what they bargained for, to forgive yet again, to let go of the shoulds that they would stop shooting on themselves and shooting on their others, their <laughs> the other relatives. Father, will you give them the freedom to let go? and to wash that person in grace and mercy. And Lord, most importantly, I ask that you would give them your eyes. Father, Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and knew that he was a trusting man. Jesus looked at a stuttering Moses and knew that he could lead a nation. We want eyes like you. You looked at us when we were still yet sinners and you saw who we are today. Will you help us to see who these people are in the future? Give us eyes that see. And I speak forgiveness and grace over you as you learn to love. Our lifelong journey is learning how to love well. And I bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: And if you're struggling with something like what depression or or uh, whatever won't go away, whatever won't go away yeah. stand up. And I'm going to say this, I'm standing.
2: Amen. Thanks for your honesty. This is awesome because the enemy is already Shaking. Is that which is in the darkness is being brought out into the light? And you standing know what it means to tell that mountain to move. And the mountain looks back at you and says, no. What do you do? Can you relate? So we take Psalm 97, where it says, the mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. (laughs) So, Father, whatever these mountains are, whatever challenges my brothers and sisters are facing, God, we have told these mountains to move, Heavenly Father, and we know that they have heard the declaration of that. But, God, we thank you that bottom line is they move because of your presence and they melt because of your presence. And I ask, God, that you would give my brothers and sisters the strength to simply remain in your presence. We drag these things into your presence, Heavenly Father. Anxiety, depression, sickness, confusion, bitterness, resentment, these things that just will seem to not go away, addictions, Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, We drag them into your presence, Lord, and we ask for the privilege of watching them melt like wax in your presence. They're melting right now. We declare these mountains are melting like wax in the presence of the Lord. They have no choice. They must melt. Just as a candle has no choice, it must melt. And so these mountains melt like wax in the presence of you, Father, And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you visit us face to face, that you don't say, come up here, and we'll be face to face. You have come down to us in our own pit to illumine the darkness, Heavenly Father. So we thank you, Father God, for your healing presence right now. Thank you for the gifts of healings, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, we give you glory. Amen. You sense that freedom? That's the Lord, that's Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit.
0: And I want to pray and ask you guys to forgive us for not always loving you well, for putting expectations on you. When you get prayed for and then you come back with the same problem, it gets frustrating for people and you feel that. And then there's shame that follows. So I want to ask you to forgive us for trying to fix you, for not just loving you right where you are, and I want to pray, Lord, will you wash off any shame in the name of Jesus, any embarrassment, any temptation to hide, because now you're just feeling silly that you're not set free and condemning yourself. We wash that off of you in the name of Jesus. And in the light of our face, in the, in the light of the glory of God, we say we receive you and we accept you right where you are. And that we're going to try to do better at just loving you without the expectations. And when God's timing is right, we'll be with you through whatever he wants to do. <laughs> Whenever he wants to do it. Amen.